Well, I don't feel anything's coming to an end in terms of the, the ongoing inspiration that I believe is God and is present in every human being as, as we've, you know, as we, as we are. Um, what is perhaps coming to an end is the professionalization, the delineation of people in categories which give them power. While I've been proud of being ordained a priest, I'm proud of trying to use that priesthood in the service of those I've met. I'm also conscious of the fact that that risks putting me in an inverted commas professional sort of context and you in a less professional one. Now I'm caricaturing it. So the experience I've had in Liverpool has been being with people who have mediated to me their sense of uh, the wonder of life and have allowed me to mediate as me to them and I happen to be a priest. You're listening to Common Era, a podcast about spirituality in an age of change. For our first season, we've been hosting a conversation between author and musician David Benjamin Blower and Nicholas Postlethwaite, a Catholic priest from the monastic order known as the Passionists. What exactly is coming to an end at this time, and how do we feel about those things ending? Perhaps we need to learn to hold healthy funerals so that change can be acknowledged and mourned rather than creating bitterness and division. In this final episode of our season, David and Nicholas share what they think might be dying in this time and how we might learn to be good undertakers of that process, alongside being midwives of the new things coming to life. When I came to the feeling and the thought that whatever I was doing I was doing it within a, a context of massive change not just in my group or, or in my part of the world but but everywhere when I came to the notion that everything was changing and that whatever one did one had to sort of do it in the light of that uncertainty tragedy possibility I found myself drawing on a lot of Catholic writers also Jewish writers Native American writers, but the interesting thing about the, the Catholic voices, people like Marshall McLuhan, Ivan Illich, mm. William Kavanagh, oh, Tolkien, interestingly, I mm. sort of, it seemed to me reading a, you know, the Silmarillion, if we can get nerdy about those kinds of things, that this was all about times of shift from one kind of world to another kind of world. But it seemed to me the Catholic imagination had some feeling for this was very powerful which I began to think well maybe it's because the Catholic world you know its paradigm really experienced an extraordinary shift or collapse or total reconfiguration 500 years ago which has sort of been thought through ever since amongst Protestant writers it was really like Dietrich Bonhoeffer who seemed to have the vision to name things as they happened in a way that was quite unusual so there was something about those voices that had an awareness of the dynamics of what happens when everything is this way and you think you understand it and then everything you know falls apart and then something new emerges largely made out of pieces of the old in a totally different order with new information and old things discarded if we draw on that image of the the undertaker and the midwife what do you see dying ending now and how do you feel about those endings how do you feel about the deathliness of a moment like this 
It's not a light-hearted question. No, it's not a light-hearted question, no. Uh, there's, there's an element in which I feel within the Catholic tradition, one of our strengths, is that this, this sort of understanding of where we go back to, that, that over the years there's been countless examples of creative stars sort of shining in the sun, shining in the sky, the saints, the different ones who have different ways sort of found, found a way of being a voice at that time. I, I, I begin each morning by reading the morning prayer for, that is sort of the monastic office and I use it on, a, on, on, a, on an app and the, the app is designed in such a way that every day has got um, a particular feast day. It's a feast day for people I've never heard of. Forget who it is today. I didn't look very quickly. I was I was a bit short of time this morning, but there's like a different a different. Oh, it's his feast day today, or her feast day today, and I've been getting this sort of wonderful sort of um, this real sense that that it's part of an ongoing com- an ongoing sort of procession, pilgrimage, whatever language you want to use, of, through humanity in in our particular tradition, but but wider than that. I'm not narrowing it down. So your question like, well, what do you feel is coming to an end? Well, I don't feel anything's coming to an end in terms of the, the ongoing inspiration that I believe is God and is present in every human being as, as, we've, you know, as, we, as we are. What is perhaps coming to an end is the, the taking over of that in, in two narrow ways by certain sectors. So that, for instance, I as a priest... I feel that, that while I've been proud of being ordained a priest, I'm proud of trying to have used that priesthood in the service of those I've met. I'm also conscious of the fact that that risks putting me in a inverted commas professional sort of context and you who are not ordained a priest in a less professional one. Now, I'm caricaturing it. So I would like to see coming to an end that sort of narrow hanging on to power connected with with mediating in the human way to the other person. So the experience I've had in Liverpool has been being with people who have mediated to me their sense of the wonder of life and have allowed me to mediate as me to them, and I happen to be a priest. Sometimes the priesthood bit has been useful, but but it's, it's been secondary. So trying to answer your question, which isn't an easy one to answer, um, I would say I'd like to see that, that role diminished, not because I don't believe that there isn't room for people to have different roles. And I think we can all have different roles. As Like, who's the teacher between you and I at the moment? Both of us. You know, who's the student? Who's, you know, because we're in a conversation. And in a conversation, if it's an authentic conversation, which is a theme I've tried to keep coming back to, then there's an equality between us. There will be times when, when you'll have an insight that you'll give to me and, uh, and that will enrich me and perhaps the other way around. So that I would like to see an end to the professionalization, the delineation of people in categories which give them power. I'll give you an example. Two friends of mine, two sisters, who are wonderful women, black women, working in Liverpool late, Kemi and Natasha, and they've set up an organisation called Reformed, and they've done it out of their experience. They ended up, which they're quite open about, I'm not saying something they've not said, they, they did a, a, a prison sentence when they were in their late teens for a mistake they'd made. And while they were in prison, they turned their lives around in terms of their thinking. And since they came out, they're now in their 30s, 
they've, they've devoted themselves to working with the kids who are getting trapped in county lines, who are getting all the sort of problems that, that young people are facing in, in an inner city area. And they wonderfully communicate with them. The ones they find more difficult to communicate with are sometimes, not always, but sometimes the professionals, whether it's the professionals in terms of the police or the probation officers or the social workers or the teachers. They are totally professional. They haven't got the qualifications and, the, and their, their language and their way of working doesn't fit neatly into the professional type stereotype, but, but they are immediately at the heart of where the problem is and are doing their best as human beings to work with these young people who trust them. So I suppose they're, they're a paradigm for me of what I would like to see happening so that, that the authentic expression of two people, three people, groups of people working authentically together, recognizing their own gifts, respecting the gifts in the other is what I believe the world is, has got to be about. And if the professionalization, whether in religion or in, in, in secular political society, inhibits that or prevents it, it's bad power to use one of your terms you were using, needs to be challenged in order to release that, that potential, which is there anyway, but which is sometimes inhibited because of the way that we language, culture, etc., sort of limited. God, that sounds, I'm going around the world in answering. So I would like to see that die. Your, your question was, what would I like to see die? Hmm. Well, one of the things I'm taking from that is the desire to see power that is bound up in certain identities and kept mm. from other identities being released mm -hmm. to be free yes. in, yeah. in its movement. Yeah. To give us sort of a macro vision of the thing, my thoughts, partly because of William Kavanagh's writing, the Catholic theologian, have often gone to the nations, the you know, question of the nation state as a political paradigm, also because of involvement in refugees' work and, and things like that. The nation state as a political paradigm is kind of 500 years old in the, mm. in the form that it's, you know, that we know it as this circle within which a power holds, you know, power outside the circle it doesn't. And, it, you know, it's, it works, it functions depending on how that boundary works. Mm -hmm. Realities of the present mean that boundary doesn't work in the way it used to. Mm -hmm. We have free movement of money, wealth in one form or another, free movement of information, transport modes developing and also crises developing the mm. free movement of people across borders is of course like one of the you know political hot points of the time and so the nation state as a sort of bounded power structure where power is held within and you don't want it to pass out nor do you want what is outside to come Spinning. in and you know be perceived to be coming in and taking mm. the power the, the realities of the present are sort of dismantling that whether you Mm. Whether you favour that or not, it, mm. it just is happening. And I suppose that for me is one among many examples that point me to the notion that we're moving to a world, we're moving from a world that is boundaried to a world that is networked. Mm -hmm. We're becoming connected mm -hmm. regardless of, you know, the circles which hold power within themselves. Yeah. It, that gives me a lot of hope. Yes. And then the transition from one thing to another yeah. is chaotic, painful, frightening, and it always comes with much loss. When we speak of being an undertaker, or the role of the undertaker in transitions like these, there are things that I just want to see go. Mm. I just want to say good riddance. Mm. <laughs> but that's not true of everybody. 
And I think moving into a new phase becomes possible for some people when an acknowledgement of what is lost has been held. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's part of the undertaker's role, isn't it? The undertaker mm -hmm. doesn't say good riddance. The undertaker holds a space and mm -hmm. say, somebody has died, mm -hmm. there is grief. Yes. We need Respect to feel that. it. Yeah. If we don't feel it, it will, yeah. it will poison us you yeah. know, in, in moving forward. I'm wondering if you have a sense of what it looks like to hold respectful funeral kind of spaces or cultures for what is passing, that, that enable people to move from an old imagination that is stuck to, to new possibilities without being afraid or resentful. Yeah, no funeral can take place unless, by and large, you know the person that you, you, you're burying. So you've, you've got, unless there's a, there's a link between you as the undertaker and the person or the group that you're you're helping to service, that's where the clue is. There isn't just one one sort of, you know, like that's the undertaker's job, and it's the same in all all situations. It's the sensitivity of the undertaker has got to be just as great as the sensitivity of the midwife, because it's not just one. It's this person who's giving birth, or it's that person who's dying, and perhaps perhaps the analogy of hospices, where often you hear people say. You expect them to be sad, depressed sort of places, and very often people will say, um, in fact, it's, it's, there's a certain peacefulness, if it's well done, because there's a, there's a respect between those who are running the hospice and those who are coming to the end of their life. So, yes, yeah, sensitivity in, in, in terms of managing that rather than the bad power approaches, which is like, this is how you do undertaking and this is how you do midwifing or this is how you become a priest, or this is how you become... So tell me where you are, tell me what the circumstances are, and, and then let's have a conversation about that. And then it comes down to good connection, good listening, yeah. good conversation, good relationship again, doesn't it? The, the vision to know, well, the ending of this doesn't matter very much to me, or the ending of this might be good news to me, but I didn't really have a stake in it. What what does the ending of this mean to this person? Mm. How do I make space for what they carry yeah. uh, about it? How do I make space for their need to fight for it somewhat? Yeah. So I, I think maybe there's a sort of care inv involved yes. in, in that yeah. process. I suppose it can add to the, the damage and the carnage of transition mm -hmm. to charge through that without taking off your shoes first. Yeah, I mean, it, if, if you push the analogy I used earlier of the Martin Buber one, the Martin Buber story, sort of contrasts the, the search for the transcendent by going out of the city and being alone and being, you know, I'm going to you know, open the door to me, God, share your wisdom. And the advice being, no, go back to the confused city where there's all the noise and all the mess, and it's there that you will find me. So in other words, is the transcendent found within the human mess, in inverted commas, I mean, you mentioned earlier, for instance, Thomas Merton, and one of the Thomas Merton stories that I always remember is when, when he was allowed out to go to the hospital from his monastery, and he sort of, the shock of sort of like being in a town, which he hadn't been in for some years, and, and he had this feeling of, um, he says, if I was being really honest with myself, every person I meet in the street, Catholic term, he says, I should genuflect, I should bow down because that person represents for me the mystery of the eternal in that one person. Now, okay, it's typical Thomas Merton sort of, you know, pushing the analogy, pushing it. But I mean, in a sense, I, I agree 
that, that each one of us has got that, that spark of the divine in us and in the confusion of our, our wonderfully messy humanity. So in the undertaker, what's dying, it's, it's, it's recognising how can I help you to recognise that in you and how, how does that then enrich me as, as, as a mutual exchange and, and how do I avoid me thinking I know what your problem is or I know what's good for you or this is what I think you should do and it's it, which again when you go back to the gospels you find all sorts of things like you know you lose your life you give it up but paradoxically you find it and all those paradoxical stains sort of you know mm. I find the image of the midwife a beautiful one for a similar reason uh, in that it's a role of care when I think about what it is to be in the role of trying to make space for the new thing to happen mm -hmm. or advocating for the new thing to happen, often it doesn't feel like that at all, does it? It's very easy to end up in the role of the, the agitator, mm -hmm. the idealist, the, you know, the troublemaker, the person who's rocking the boat. Whereas the role of the midwife is, once again, somebody who's caring mm -hmm. you know, with, with all of their being for the sacredness of the lives. But the activist could be that as well. Well, there we go. Yeah, that's the that's the that's the conundrum, isn't it? That's yeah. the question for me. Yeah. How do how does the role of activism move well, because, towards that more beautiful well, well, um, image? Well, well, Martin going deciding he's prepared to go to prison because he's going to protest against you know arms sales to Israel or, or whatever it might be is surely an act of generosity on his part in terms of recognizing what that is all about and why he's he's making a stand on that. And okay, the way that that is being expressed is being an undertake, is being a midwife in a very different way to the traditional role of what you see a midwife, you know, like the, the actual physical birth of a child. Any analogy limps, but I mean, it's, there's a potential to develop that into all sorts of ways. And I don't think it's an either or, whether you're an activist or whether there's a beauty. There can be a beauty in, in, in risking, which comes back, say, down to, the, um, the number of people who've given their lives over the years to, to what they believe in, you know. Is there a beauty? There's a horrible aspect to it, but there's a beauty as well. This friend of mine I told you about, she's a, she's, she's a loving wife, and her husband is suffering some signs of dementia at the moment. And last week, I rang her up, and it turns out that she was, she was hectic. She was, she, was, she was at a wit's end because he'd, gone, he'd, he'd wandered off and she didn't know where he was. But within, within a half hour or so, everything was fine because somebody had seen him. And again, this is where you come back to a, a community dimension, don't you, that, that, that there's a beauty within the little group, but the little group is also part of a, a larger community. And when that community is a caring community that sort of looks out for one another, you've got a, a beautiful situation. But you wouldn't associate that. Most people would say that that particular area, oh God, I wouldn't go there. That's a dangerous area. And yet there's a beauty there. There's a, there's a wonder. There's a, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a holiness. Mm, it's, mm. it's not necessarily a holiness where everybody's going to church or anything. And it might not mean that there's not a lot of sort of a falling out and you know, everything that goes on in, in human community. But, but if, if there's that sense of there's something deeper, which, which I think is where, coming back to Charles Taylor, saying rethink all your social imaginaries, start rethinking your whole way of how you describe theology, spirituality, church, religion, God. And don't expect you're going to come to an end of it. 
Rowan Williams has got a beautiful thing in um, one of his books or one of his series of lectures where he talks about the inadequacy of words. That he says, uh, he says you, you try and find words and you try and clarify them and, and, and words will take you to, to a cliff edge. And you say, well, I can't go any further. And he says, well, he says, you can. You can always go further. He says, think of, think of the analogy of a chemist who will take an element and subject it to stress, heat perhaps, and push and push and push until something happens and the, the element in some way or other explodes into something else. And Rowan Williams suggested, he says, perhaps that's where we all are, both in terms of our words and our way of thinking. We're being asked to push and push and push that we've not even begun yet. It's still very much in the foothills. And that's an ongoing task, which is, in one sense, it could give you mental indigestion. In another sense, it's a tremendously liberating because it sort of says, God, you know, isn't it wonderful? And, mm. uh, where the hell is it going? We don't know. Do you believe in God? Well, I hope so, you know. <laughs> The realisation that you're just getting started. Yes. <laughs> and I love that image of community and relationship, perhaps as a form in which we live, that's able to, to do that thing of holding that bit of liminality. Yeah. That means that you can make that journey together. Yeah. I felt we've had uh, something of that today in this conversation. Aye, me too, me too. So it was worth coming down to Birmingham, even Birmingham, you know, you can get it even in Birmingham. Birmingham's not as bad as people think. <laughs> I'm from Liverpool. Not much better, but not as bad as people think. <laughs> no, thanks very much, David. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for thank you for having the conversation with me. I think uh, I think that's a wrap, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Common Era is produced by passionists in England and Wales. That's the last episode of this first season, but to follow us or find out more about us, look us up at passionists.org.uk. And you can follow David Blower at davidbenjaminblower.com. Thanks for being part of this conversation about spirituality in an age of change.